You're listening to The Science of Storytelling, presented by Pressboard, a show about marketing, media, and the people making it happen. Your host is Jared Grimm. On today's Science of Storytelling episode, I'm chatting with Brian Morrissey. You probably know Brian best from his 10-year stint with Digiday, that's where I know him from, where he headed up editorial as president and editor-in-chief. Now, if you think things have changed for you this year, Brian has moved from New York to Miami, left Digiday, started a personal newsletter about the media business, and even had time in between to catch and recover from COVID. The guy's done a lot. Brian and I cover a lot of bases here, from Trump to subscription business models and everything in between. If you like this episode, hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. Now, let's get to the show. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been looking forward to chatting with you, and I'm I'm going to start this off. I don't know if you're familiar with Morning Brew, but they do this three headlines, and one of them's not real, or one of them is real, uh, two of them not. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to read out three headlines to you. Oh God! One of them is <laughs> two of them are real, and one of them is fake. Okay, and you're going to have to guess which one is fake. So the first one, we're Two days after the election, there's still no clear winner. President Trump has sued a bunch of states and their protesters gathering outside of election offices. Okay, just wait. That's headline one. Okay. Headline two. It's been eight months. The pandemic is beginning to come under control and everyone pretty much agrees that masks are helpful in helping avoid its spread. That's number two. And number three is... Brian Morrissey leaves New York for Miami, quits his job at Digiday, and starts a personal newsletter. <laughs> Which ones of those are true? Well, I've been glued to Twitter for the last several months, so I think one is true. This all sounds accurate. Um, I know three is, is, is accurate, so I would say number two. Assuming, I mean, assuming we're talking about all with like Americans are included in that, then, then yes, then, yeah. You know, I, would, I mean, I would say, in I think what the, one of the things that like actually played into the US election, this is sort of a tangent, but like I do think that there was like an, a large feeling of being quote unquote over it, uh, with mm-hmm. in in large groups of uh, of American society. You're right, the the one that was false, the only one that's false, surprisingly, is the one that seems the most. I think yeah. that you could predict eight months ago. So I'm going to focus. I want to focus on number three, which is you've left New York for Miami. Yeah. You uh, left your your job as head president at Digiday, yeah. and you've started a personal newsletter. So and I got COVID. And you got and you got COVID. I feel like COVID is probably the most normal part of that sentence somehow. So so I guess first off, you moved from New York to Miami earlier this year, right? Yeah, and uh, over the summer, uh, my wife and I moved down here. Just mostly was a bet on, I mean, you know, not being in offices for a long time and and both working out of an apartment in Brooklyn and then, you know, betting that the the winter was going to be pretty rough in in New York um, and it would be maybe better to be somewhere where, uh, the weather is at least nice. I mean, yeah. I gotta say, like, I live across the street from the beach. It's not terrible. It was, it was. Well, you, you're probably you're you're a Celsius person, but it was like 79 degrees uh, today, and like uh, people from Miami were like they had their puffer puffer vests out. Yeah. <laughs> well, can, well, yeah. I'm I'm in Canada. We're the opposite. So my dad as soon as it's above freezing, like one degree above freezing, he's wearing shorts and a t-shirt. There was always, a, that was always a, I, I'm not your dad, I assume he's he's older, but like, uh, that was, there's always a strange, like young male thing of like, be, of, of wearing shorts all year round. There was, yeah. I remember in college, there was like a group of like, uh, of, of guys who would like wear shorts. And I mean, it was Rhode Island, it was New England in, in, the, in the winter and they would just wear shorts all the time. It, there has to be something where guys like wearing shorts or else they wouldn't have invented those pants where you have pants that zip into shorts. Because there's no way that anyone with fashion sense had decided that that would be a thing. So there's got to be something related to guys just always want to wear shorts. Um, and then and then you've recently uh, made a pretty big move in your career. 
and went from DJ and now you you started a newsletter called The Rebooting, right? Yeah. We're in a big rebooting. Maybe it's my my own like personal career rebooting and stuff, but uh, I think this this pandemic is going to lead to um I mean, look, there's there's a lot of stuff that's going to go back to normal, but like um, there, there's clearly many things um, that accelerated uh, because of, unfortunately, because of the pandemic. But um, I don't. It's hard for me to believe that we're gonna, uh, you know, go back to office life as it was. Um, we, we clearly accelerated a lot of e-commerce trends that that were out there, and I think media too is gonna it's gonna have its own sort of rebooting. Yeah, and it's not. I mean, you're you're essentially starting or trying out what it looks like to start a new version of a media company yourself. And I guess what is it that that made you come to this decision that now was the time to do this? Because from the outside, mm-hmm. you know, starting up your own thing in the middle of a pandemic with a you know unknown future feels risky. But uh, you know, I started my company when I had when we had our second kid and my wife was going on unpaid leave for the next year because in Canada we have a year of it. So basically, and we just got a mortgage on a house. From the outside, it looked crazy, but there were things that made sense. I needed to, you know, I in order to get that mortgage, I needed to have a job, but this was also like the timing worked out because my wife was going to be at home. I wanted to spend a little bit more time at home. It made sense to me. It just didn't, it wasn't that clear on the outside. What was it about this timing that made sense for you? You know, I don't know if there was any, I, I, I think, I think maybe I believe now at this point in my life that like, you know, the timing is never really great for anything. Like, you know, so if you wait for like the right time, you'll never get married or any of that sort of stuff or uh, have kids or anything um, because there'll always be some, there'll always be some reason not to do something or it's not a perfect time. And, and, and sometimes those reasons are, are completely accurate everything you said sounds sounds right but sometimes they're just sort of like we have a natural tendency to not want to um to change i I think um but i do think that um i had great great time at digiday it was 10 years i'm really proud of what we built there but you know things change and and you know companies change and stuff like this and you know for the last couple of years, I can't say it was as enjoyable as it was in, in earlier years. And so I think this is a good time. I miss it. I miss all the people I work, worked with there. I still keep in touch with just about all of them, but um, I think it's time, a good time for me personally, just like um, to rethink what I want to do and what I've learned over the last, I don't know, 20 years of doing this um, and think about like what I want to do the next phase of my career. So I don't know if this, you know, I know there's a lot of stuff with personal newsletters and stuff like this we can talk about. I don't know whether that's part of this, this, that this is more, the rebooting is more just like a personal exploration um, or project to, um, as I sort of think through what's going on in media right now and, and, and other areas, you know, to kind of share that. I I have time. I've just decided I'm not going to sort of like rush into something um, immediately. So. And was this, I mean, you've been a journalist or involved mm-hmm. in journalism for a long time now, you know, like you said, 20 years, but was this, were you a kid and this is what you were going to do when you're 10 years old? No, I don't think so. Um, I kind of came to journalism sort of by happenstance a little bit after, after college and after grad school. Um, I, I was a speech writer in Washington, DC for a couple of unhappy years and, um, <laughs> just really decided that, um, you know, that this was a career that matched up with a lot of things I was really interested in. I was interested in trying to figure out how things worked and I was pretty curious about stuff. And, and, um, obviously I liked, I liked writing quite a bit. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's sort of how I came upon it as a career. I still think it's a great career. Um, yeah, I know it's, the industry has gone through a lot of, um, a lot of changes and obviously a lot of difficult times, but um, I think that's part of what makes it worthwhile is trying to figure out, you know, better business models for a really important thing to, to our societies. Well, and it, it definitely has changed. I mean, I've been in the industry in one way, either the advertising or media industry for probably 
I don't know, maybe like 15, 18 years now. And it's like a, you know, the frog in boiling water. Like if you're the frog and you, you're in the pot and the water starts to warm up, you don't notice it. But if you were to be dropped right into this, it, then you jump right out. But what do you think if you take, go back to like the year, I think it was like year 2000, you were a reporter at Silicon Alley Insider, yeah. right? So go from there and just skip all the way till today in the media business. What are the, I mean, you were in a really, that's an interesting time, year 2000, it's the dot-com bust, right? But you skip ahead, what what would be most shocking to you about what the media business looks like today than it did at that time? I mean, I would say maybe that it's almost more concentrated than, than I mean, I think, I think back to the, um, that time in 2000 was there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of sort of new ventures happening in media. Um, Silicon Alley Reporter, where, where I was writing, was one of them. It, it wasn't, it was a magazine, but it was also online. But there was, you know, this idea that the internet would lead to a flowering of, um, of new publications and new brands and, and individuals would have their voice and, and, you know, different niches would be covered in, in new ways. And in some ways that happened, but in some ways it really didn't come come to pass um, with the rise of platforms and, and the consolidation that, that ended up taking place within digital publishing. But I think nowadays, you know, there could be an opportunity to to have a do-over and, and hopefully for it to, to wind up a little bit better. I almost think we're, it's 2020, and you're you're able to start a personal newsletter, build an audience. It feels similar in some ways to the original days of blogging, where yeah. you know you used to have these massive media companies, and then all of a sudden, ah, oh, the the individual creator can build an audience or or take their talents and and be able to build a business around it. But uh, something happened where that never you're right, it never really came to fruition in the way that people perceived it would. Well, I think there was a few things if you like sort of go back. I mean, one of the, the key ones is, you know, the bloggers that, that sprung up. I mean, you know, I think we'll see a similar thing with this uh, Substack world is, yeah, they, you know, the, there was an escape velocity for, for several of them um, helped by venture capital. I think it'll be different this time around um, in order to build real publishing brands. I think what, what was different then is, um, the information has to be free and it was all going to be ad supported because, uh, you know, the ad rates would be higher because there would be all these um, very valuable niches. Um, and, you know, the advertising as a driver of, uh, of this diversity of publications um, was clearly um, in error. Right. I mean, advertising went back to the way it, it has long been. It's a scale game. And um, it was there was there were there were winners, but but mostly it was Google and Facebook um, that won out of that era. Um, so I think you could argue that um, in 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 this do over having it more built around subscriptions doesn't mean it doesn't mean that advertising doesn't have a role is a, has a lot better chance of longer term success than um, than the ad funded model. Yeah, I guess that is what back at that time, it wasn't no one was really I don't think so anyway, charging for access to their blog. That was right? weird. That would be weird. I mean, that, that I still remember, you know, like in the like late 90s, I, I always give people from Slate shit about this, because like, I was one of the few people who actually paid for 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 a membership of slate and then they took it down this is when microsoft and i and the only thing i got out of it was this umbrella the slate umbrella um <laughs> but you know what they could have stuck with it um it would have been a better uh would have would have probably been a better approach um so yeah i think nowadays um look i don't i, don't, I think that there's there's a giant gap like there, there's there's only so many so many subscription funded publishers that can exist, um, but it's 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 proving that very few people are are, are excited about ad funded um, content models these days. I mean, you have to just get massive scale, 
or even if you're an ad funded content model, you'll end up becoming probably a production studio model um, for large platforms. Yeah, and there, you know what? One thing that we we love doing in the media world and also in the advertising world is finding one example of success and then assuming yeah. that that's available. And so I, I, there are not a million Ben Thompsons. Sorry, not happening. Well, and there's also we, you take a look at uh, Morning Brew, which recently uh, sold to Insider, and people are like, "Oh yeah, we just need to build a newsletter." Oh, I know. And then we should all be able to make. You know, mm. I don't know what they ended up. I think they valued it like 70 million or something like that. Yeah, I, I'm interested to see how many like um, morning brew clones there are that, that end up emerging. Um, and look, I mean, I think some of it is good. Like, and I think I, I, I think one of the good things with the, the with my own newsletter uh, that, I'm, that I'm doing is like I've been able to talk with lots of people who are who are building like these niche publications, um, and um, you know I think it's great. There's there's a ton of them um, happening right now. You know I think Morning Brew will end up being obviously the exception. You know they they got the escape velocity, um, and there's going to be a lot of people who try to copy that, but won't won't work obviously as well. Um, but overall. I think, you know, it's exciting to see a bunch of people like zero in on specific niches and um, and give a go into building um, building businesses around those niches. I mean, that was the original premise of, of blogging. And I think that there's weirdly we're back at the same place I and mean, hopefully it works out better this time. I think there's always this desire for individuals to be able to decide on control their own destiny. So. I think you will have things like Morning Brew that were seventy million dollars. They, you know, sell or or get a major equity. You had the skim before that. They raised a bunch of money. So there's there's that type of business, usually an ad supported, massive scale type one. But there's this other area where where just a person wants to be their own boss and start up their own little thing and you know, maybe make a hundred K a year and live a really great life but not necessarily expect that they're going to be a billionaire. They're not going to, you know, they're not going to compete against the New York times or NBC or anything along those lines. Yeah. It mirrors to me, the world of influencers where sure. people really love something. They decide, you know, what would be cool is if I just got to do this every single day and I could earn enough money to pay my rent. Yes. And I'm wondering if you feel like that is the more likely path for this, massive amount of people that are trying and and to let listeners know like Substack maybe you can explain I explain Substack as Mailchimp with Stripe integration that's a little bit of a tech techy jargony explanation but how would you explain Substack I mean it's basically it's just a newsletter service that lets you take money if you if you want to charge right um, it's become more like synonymous with what you're talking about, which is, um, you know, people striking out on their own, you know, well-known journalists, creators, um, and in many cases, um, having paid newsletters, some combination of free and a paid, um, and, and making a living off that. Um, I think that there is, like you said, there's going to be a, you know, the long tail phenomenon is, alive and well in that there's going to be a very few people at the head of the tail, whether that's the Ben Thompson's, um, Matt Taibbi or, um, that are able to amass large, uh, large followings, um, large subscriber bases, um, and, and make great livings. The overwhelming majority, I feel like of creators are not going to hit that level or even come close to it. Um, there's going to be a, a larger, lower middle class than 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 there is even a middle class of of this world. So I think that there's it's interesting what's going on with Substack, but I think it like speaks to um, a few things that maybe are more interesting other than the Ben Thompson sort of thing, and that's like you know I think it's pretty accepted now for if if you can it is better to have a business model revolving around subscriptions and recurring revenue than it is on, on an indirect revenue model, whether that's um, 
display ads programmatically or direct sold, whether that's events, whether that's content marketing, whether that's even consulting services. Indirect models are, are less powerful than direct models. You see this across the economy. Um, very, There's very few industries that you don't see companies wanting to have a direct relationship with their, with their customer base slash audience. I, so I think that's really interesting. I think the idea of like, what I call like micromedia brands like emerging is, is, is interesting because um, not every creator, particularly a, a, a more of a journalistic type creator wants to be a entrepreneur. Um, mm. I think that's important to sort of understand the motivation um, because there's a lot that comes, comes with that, that I don't think people want. Like it's a very simple thing that no one talks about is marketing. Mm-hmm. The truth of the matter is most like journalists and credit, they hate marketing. They don't want to, they don't want to market. They feel embarrassed by it. I know I, I like, I refuse to like post like more than like twice about like my newsletter. Like it's just like a terrible growth strategy. Like shamelessness is a gigantic competitive advantage. Um, and, you know, doing the marketing is really, really um it's unbelievably important. Having audience development strategies is incredibly important. Um, and the idea that you can just like set up on Substack and then all these things like get magically done is obviously not true. Um, so I think we'll end up seeing more, you know, I don't know. It's like, I guess it's cliche to say media goes through uh, unbundling and rebundling and then just keeps repeating the cycle. And I think this is, a form of an unbundling phase and then we'll see the rebundling um and that's people building small media brands basically yeah and and you're right because sales and marketing fall over on that other part media businesses have been broken in half editorial on one side and sales and marketing on the other side probably for that reason the skill set is different the desire to to even when you're getting a subscription, you still have to say to somebody, if you really like this, how about if you paid me money for it? I, I was always like, um, the thing that I, I noticed is that people on the quote unquote editorial side often didn't understand how blunt of a tool you have to end up being with marketing. Like that, like mm. I, I would always have to remind people, it's like, you know, people are really busy and they're not like obsessively following like what, what you're, what you're doing or obsessed with you. Like, and so you got to be kind of loud about stuff. If you want a lot of people to know, you got to be loud about it. I remember like, you know, Digiday, we were like, we were a year plus into, um, into Digiday Plus, the, our membership program. And I would run into people who had like an attach, a, a strong, what I thought of like claimed a strong attachment to the brand and they didn't even know about it. Like I I was just like always amazed by, um, and I don't think that's unique. I think you always have to remember that, um, you know, people are busy and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do more marketing rather than less marketing a lot of times. Editorial people, that's, that's hard to sort of understand. We'll be back to the episode in just a few seconds. But first, we have some exciting news for you. At Pressboard, we love stories, but we know how hard it can be to measure them. So we're here to help, whether it's a sponsored article on a news site, an Instagram post from an influencer, or a video on YouTube. Our tech measures it all. Pressboard is already trusted by Spotify, Intel, NBC Universal, Hearst, and thousands more. And here's the big news. Listeners of the podcast can try out the Pressboard platform for free. Just email info at pressboardmedia.com right now. All right, let's get back to the show. If I make that connection back to the idea of, you know, the influencer world, which is, it's just an independent business owner at the end of it, but uh, they're surrounded by talent agencies or the platforms that are, that are doing that. You don't often have a, an influencer or creator say, Hey, can you pay me each time? But there's other ways to do it. They go to a talent agency, that talent agency works with brands, sells the brand on it. There's been the separation. I do see that at some point, maybe we'll see 
a bunch of consultants that are gathered around these, you know, Substack creators that say, hey, you, you just take care of your newsletter and then I'll make sure to get mm-hmm. the audience knowing about it, requesting subscriptions. And then you're right. It starts to look like, and then, hey, why don't we get a couple of other other Substack creators under this as well? And then why don't we brand them all together? And, mm-hmm. uh, and you end up with these micro media companies. I think what's very clear is, um, I mean, it's not clear. I don't know what Substack really wants to become, right? Like, so right. I, I look at it as like, um, you know, do they want to be Shopify? You know, do they want to be Shopify basically was the platform that, you know, on the surface of it, they were solving a basic problem. If you wanted to have an independent e-commerce business, uh, you got to be able to set up a shop and take payments and stuff. That's what they did. If you think about it, Substack is somewhat similar. What Shopify really became or has become is it's become a platform for everything that um, these businesses need as they grow their independent e-commerce uh, uh, businesses. Um, and, and some of that is through services that Shop, Shopify itself provides, and sh- some of it is through services that, um, that are apps on the Shopify platform um, and that they provide. But I think that there are an array of services that are still needed if this phenomenon is going to become anything other than an extremely elite niche phenomenon, you just, you need a lot more services than um, just being able to um, take payments through Stripe. Well, and I think one of the Substacks things is, is that they say no ads ever. And I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts. You've been a proponent of, you know, a diverse business model, because I think what's always changing in the world of media is how do you make, how do you make more money than you spend as a business? So <laughs> you run these small businesses, but even you take a look at someone like Morning Brew, there's probably a point where they were doing, they had profit, but their next step was to lose money to scale. And that's probably the time. I mean, the skim went through that. I think recently they laid off 20% of their staff. Yeah. Uh, you make good money for a while and then you scale it up and, and you lose that profitability but uh, but back to kind of this idea of ads and, and subs. So you earn money through subscriptions. And at some point, you're going to look for additional revenue streams. And one of those revenue streams is almost always advertising. Do you feel like it's an either or now with this movement towards that? Or is it always going to be and, and, and? Honestly, yes. I mean, that's media, right? I mean, like the magic of media is you create something once and then you make money off of it a, a bunch of different ways, ideally. Um, uh, so I don't see why that would be different. I never trust, um, I don't know, people that are almost religious about these things, like all ads are bad, only subs, like, I mean, and usually it's done for marketing purposes and stuff, but, um, it's funny. It's something I was just thinking about earlier to, to write about next week, um, which is these, these false choices that, that. I mean, you see it in life a lot, but like, you know, it seems maybe it's just being in the business. It seems like media has a lot of these false choices. And like, you know, like in life, like we were talking, it's like, oh, you got to we should open up the economy. Oh, we should crush the virus. It's like, well, yeah, like these are not like in in opposition, actually. Um, Like you and you can hold these two things in your mind and it's possible. Like, you know, it might be a little bit more complicated, but like setting them up as these false choices is not very helpful. Um, And I think it's the same way in media, like having a a model, a business model that um, is based around subscriptions does not mean that ads are all bad. I don't think they have to be. I mean, I think Morning Brew, for instance, proof that you can have an ads business that works for, for both your advertisers and your audience. It's really hard to do. Indirect models are, are definitely more difficult to pull off, I think, than, than direct models as far as getting the incentives right on both sides because you're, you're serving two constituencies. Um, you're serving an advertiser constituency and you're serving an audience constituency. It's a lot easier if you're just like serving an audience because they're your customers. But I think ads ha- can, can play a role. Sure, why not? There are lots of great ad businesses out there. I, I don't know. I mean, like the, the data I see usually, I mean, it depends on, on the site, but like you can have 
you can actually improve the user experience and improve the, uh, the actually ad effectiveness. Yeah, the media business, and it's probably not unlike a lot of other places, likes to pick sides. I remember when BuzzFeed came out and they said, like, we hate display. We'll never do display. And they brought native ads and that, that worked for a while. And they're like, hey, you know what works really good alongside sponsored content is some display. And then they just went fully in and brought programmatic in. And then they added, you know, they could just keep adding stuff. To me, it's like this idea starts out with almost like you have a principle that you've decided on. And then all of a sudden you realize that you're running a business and no one really cares. But I, about this. The, the cynical part of me wonders whether it's truly a principle or whether it's, it's marketing. Um, or some combination of the two um, because like it sounds more interesting to 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 say if you're BuzzFeed we'll never run a display ad then hey you know our native ad business is, is working well it's differentiated in the market it's not commoditized yet we're we're gonna go with that but like who knows I mean we're not against it we're open to anything that doesn't sound as good as uh, we're all about like native ads. You know, the same with like, you know, the information was always saying, oh, no, only only subs. We're not doing any sort of, you know, ads. OK, well, we'll do like sponsored webinars. But those aren't ads. Well, then we're going to like go into some like who cares? Like, why, why don't you just like make create a bunch of value and, and extract some of that value through through a bunch of different ways, whether that's through direct reader revenue, whether that's through advertising that's not awful and works for, for both your audience and, and the advertiser, whether that's through like events that aren't terrible, commerce, licensing, why not? It's probably, it's probably good business. You're right though. It's just not newsworthy. It's really tough for that PR person to pitch. Yeah. Hey, we've got a really reasonable business here that, doesn't look that exciting and we're not doing anything completely different, but Hey, we have a decent EBITDA. I doubt that's going to get any press coverage. So it's probably put through this marketing or PR lens where, Hey, we're different. We're different than everybody else. Why are we different? Just cause. That's, what I, that's why I say it's like marketing in that. Like I would always find like, and reporters always fall for it, honestly. Like, because like reporters always like the thing that like, reporters can't stand and i think that's why covering trump was so, such a difficult thing was like they think of hypocrisy as like the like the mortal sin of like all humanity is like mm. being like uh, uh having hypocrisy but like you know for most people if you're in politics it's all about power like people talk about hypocrisy. It's like, give me a break. It's about power. You think, you think Mitch McConnell is like losing like a minute of sleep over someone being like, Oh wow. You were, you know, you said this about, about Garland. And now all of a sudden with it's Amy Coney Barrett, you told it. It's like, it's just about power. Give me a break. But like reporters yeah. are hung up on like hypocrisy and there's a certain naivete to, to that. I feel like. And then for media, do you see anyone? So we just had the election night and TV ratings were down. They were down 20% from 2016, which surprised me. Fox News was number one. I actually watched Fox News just to see if it was this, you know, right wing firestorm that I thought it was. It really wasn't. It, it didn't feel that much different than the other newscasts. But you have these shifts in media. Trump is not, you wrote about this in your newsletter. Uh, I think you call it the Trump slump. I yeah. like that. Uh, like what's going to happen when there isn't something that interesting to drive a bunch of attention? And did we have a, a false um, spike in media businesses because coronavirus and Trump are all happening? Page views are up. Viewership is up, which it just gives you more ad inventory. Uh, I remember before all of this happened, we were talking about the demise of media. And then for a little while, we weren't talking about that anymore. It was exciting again what happens joe biden is not going to be that interesting no if no president no I mean, trump is still gonna be uh he's still gonna he's still gonna be around um but i think you know for all of the sort of doom and gloom around particularly the news uh media industry i mean the trump years were amazing amazing for them and like the uh, you know i think 
broken clock is what, right? Twice a day. And Trump was right in that he was the best thing that ever happened to, to a lot of these uh, news publications. The, you know, the New York Times has been, um, has been on this path to a direct reader um, revenue dominated business now for um, yeah, nine years. Um, there is an inflection point that took place four years ago. Um, and I think the, the, un, the unknown, and I think some people said it at the time, but like, you know, it's not very popular to bring up is whether that growth stalls by the, the oppositional, the starkly oppositional um, approach the New York Times has taken. Now, um, I, I, I live in Miami now, but I, I, I lived in, in New York City for 20 years, so that's sort of where my home truly is. Uh, it's more to my political uh, liking, but the fact is 75 million people, um, whether we like it or not in the United States, uh, voted for, for Donald Trump. Um, a lot of publications chose to become very oppositional um, and write off those those potential uh, customers. And and there's a there's just a, a lack of trust in large parts of this country to um, these publishers. Um, so I think the question ends up being is when Trump is not when when opposition to Trump is not like, you know, people do all sorts of like performative symbolic acts, one of which was like taking out subscriptions. I just wonder whether or not as we go back to ideally a more normal um, or just simply less dysfunctional political environment um, in which the arguments are, are basically between the 40 yard lines and, and they're about marginal tax rates and the various levels of regulation we should have. Whether that ends up, um, you know, hurting these these, uh, it'll definitely hurt the ratings for 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 cable news, and and that's that's fine. I mean, um, but it's going to hurt subscription businesses. There's no way. There's no way it's not going to. And I mean, I understand why they did it, but like, I mean, you know, the New York Times, um, you know, has basically built its entire brand marketing campaign around. Um, being part of the resistance. I mean, it, like that's the reality. Now that, that was a good short-term bet. I don't know whether it was a great long-term bet. And I also, and I mentioned this in the newsletter today. I mean, a lot of these publications right now are going to, they have a serious internal revolt happening at these organizations, um, particularly in the newsroom um, that is going to, really accelerate after this is over. There's going to be all sorts of weird, weird internal strife going on in, in news organizations within the Democratic Party, within the Republican Party. There's going to be all sorts of uh, strange realignments. Well, and that subscription idea is interesting because what happens when your subscription is no longer like a badge of right. honor, right? So there's a lot of signaling whether it's through a subscription or whether it's what you share on social media a lot of what we're... i don't think you'd be like super negative to see like a, a news media recession coming um mm -hmm. uh, you know this in every single possible way um you know this was a malignant presidency that led to all sorts of craziness and that looks like it's going away um trump is not going away trumpism is unfortunately not going um, but the Trump show is 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 moving out of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, and that is going to have an impact on the business fortunes of of these of these news companies. Post scale, let's say, who out there do you think is doing you know is on the right path? Let's pick you know one or two media companies that you think are on the right path to a sustainable media future, in whatever way that looks like. Who who are you impressed by? <sighs> Man, um, you know, we were just talking about Morning Bruce. I'm going to uh, go towards someone in that area who I think is doing something slightly different. Um, and it's also content that's totally antithetical to, to my sort of view of the world, which is uh, The Hustle. Um, mm. I like this because, like, they, um, they've been able to bridge going from 
you know, an ad driven growth hacked like newsletter to a real community with a, a serious subscription component with its trends community. And that's because like, you know, there is a real community of, um, of these young hustler, entrepreneur, Gary V accolade, blah, blah, blah. Easy to make fun of, at least for some, someone skeptical like myself, but like, it's a real, it's a real business. And I think it's, it's not only real business, but they've got like a real community of people who want to, um, engage with each other. And that's what the most powerful to me, media models right now are ones that are based around, around communities that are able to put themselves at the center of communities. I know, you know, with Digiday, that was basically the playbook, but you know, the, the communities were, were industries, whether that was the media and marketing industry or um, fashion and beauty with, with glossy or retail with modern retail. It's like, put yourself at the center of communities. Sometimes those communities, like I almost think of with like the hustle, it's like a psychographic, right? It, it's like, it's, it's not within an industry. It's like across all kinds of different industries. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's really powerful. Um, and I think there's examples of that in, in more consumer oriented publications. Um, you know, obviously Barstool has done like an amazing job of, um, of catering to a specific group. Um, an identifiable group and it's not for everyone i think to me like the media models i like are are ones that are more they're not for everyone right um they're for um maybe it's a a defined group of people i don't think niche has to mean small but you know it should be for a specific group of 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 people that identify um as part of, of of a community yeah, and it's interesting that a lot of these things, whether it's, you know, started as an email newsletter, even Thrillist started as a e-newsletter, right? Or a email that went out to people about the best bars in the area. A lot of these, it's not really about email. It's probably about just direct delivery. Most of the previous yeah. media businesses, if you're a magazine or newspaper, you dropped off your thing at someone's door on a subscription that was always better than hoping someone grabbed you at the newsstand. It's, none of it's new, like push versus pull and stuff like this. Um I think some, it's funny how email has like sort of, um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's the old standby, but I think like exactly what you're, you're saying, it's, it's not about the email. It's about the, it's about that direct connection with, um, ideally with people that are part of a community. I mean, I guess it was like always obvious being like, you know, with Digiday being B2B because, because email is always like the workhorse of B2B. And I feel like a lot of consumer publications sort of caught on to it a little bit later, but for B2B, it's like, well, of course. I mean, like we could like tweet like nonstop and post to Facebook nonstop. And like, you know, maybe a couple of tickets to events get sold, send a freaking email out and like hundreds get sold. Like, I mean, people spend thousands of dollars not only because of that, but like pushed there by an email. Like, I mean, you send out an email and like you, you see like a ton of real money like comes in. <laughs> like that's why I always like I always joke that like the problem with email is that it's too effective, like because like the data always tells you to send. And and you see like tens of thousands of dollars in revenue. I don't know. You don't need to be Warren Buffett to be like, Hey, maybe we should send another email. Yeah. How do you think we could drive more revenue? I don't know. What if we do the same thing we did yesterday? I didn't get an MBA, but like, <laughs> well, what if we just send, send another one? <laughs> and another one. <laughs> and we, we might make a little bit less next time, but we're still going to make tens of yeah, thousands of dollars. Audience development dude comes in and is like, oh, we got 50 unsubscribed. Yeah, we also got like, you know, $18,000 in revenue because so it keeps sending. <laughs> well, speaking of speaking of newsletters, you have a newsletter. So how how are people going to subscribe to yours? What's the easiest way? Go. I haven't like hooked up a... a, a, a personal dominion it's just the rebooting.substack.com i send it out every wednesday and really it's about 
sustainable media uh, businesses. Um, I have my own sort of interests, particularly in those that are more like focused or niche, um, whether they're on the consumer side or on, on the B2B side. Um, and I also sort of, I try to draw on um, sort of my own experiences at Digiday, you know, those, you know, as much as I can share of, of those and in, in trying to figure out these things. Cause one of the things I, I definitely recognized, you know, particularly with all the events we did and stuff is, um, you know, there's real power in, in, in people being able to share their own experiences with each other. So I want to figure out ways to be able to connect people to each other, um, that are trying to figure out similar, um, similar challenges. Um, so still figuring that out. Um, I'm going to restart a podcast soon. Well, I think you've got, you have this really interesting viewpoint, not only because you're willing to share it, but I mean, you've been a journalist for a long time, reporter for a long time. You were heading up Digiday, which is, you can't get more meta than that. It's a yeah. media publication that covers the media and advertising world and talks about business models. And now what, what I'm really interested in is watching you figure out what this, you know, newsletter world looks like. There's no better way. When I started a business, I didn't realize how much different was being in it than it was watching someone else do it so sure. i mean the most fun, the most fun part is actually watching someone screw up a few times and <laughs> and be willing to share it so if nothing else I, i'd love i agree i mean i'm hoping to at least have, bring that perspective which i hope is 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 a little bit different um so yeah it's been it's been good i know like with digiday i always thought that like our big competitive advantage was like, you know, we had everyone's every business is trying to figure things out, but like, you know, we could just like talk to like the smartest people in the area and <laughs> see what they were doing. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the only reason we were, we were doing stories, but if we were trying to figure something out on the, you know, with the business, I would, I, my thought was others were, were trying to figure out similar things. Yeah, you're running a you're running a research project at the same time as you're running yeah, an editorial exactly. project. And uh, and my last question for you, I really appreciate you taking some time to be on here. And now that you're right across from a beach, maybe you're getting more time to to sure. do some beach reading. We do we do a book club uh, at Pressboard, and so I wanted to get an idea of your favorite book. And I'm gonna caveat this: most people say the most intelligent book they've ever read. Uh, so you don't have to say, we'll assume that you've read smarter books than this one, possibly. So what's your favorite book? You know, it's sort of a different type of book, but um, there's a really, I'm, I'm really into running and like I've run like tons of marathons and, and, and even some ultra marathons and stuff. And I, I think running is the thing that I've always found, like, not just like grounds me or whatever, but like a lot of the the sort of the things that you learn uh, becoming like a long distance runner. I do think that they, they sort of apply to other areas of life. And there's a, for anyone who's into running, there's a, an amazing book called the lore of running. Uh, it's uh, written by this uh, South African physiologist, uh, Timothy Noakes um, that really captures, I mean, there's a lot of it in there that is, is, you know, with VO2 max and stuff like this, but there's a lot of stuff about the mental side of, um, of running, um, and what makes it, uh, unique and, and special for people that, that I've always, I always return to a lore of running. I'm going to read that. So I started running. I never ran. I've always played like hockey and sports like that. And then COVID hit and all that got canceled. So I'm like, oh, fine. I got to stay in shape. I'm going to run. And I started by running every single weekday. So zero from zero running for oh. like nearly 40 years to running five days a week for six months. And I have never had so many injuries in my life. I think incrementalism is, is underappreciated. I think particularly in, um, you know, look, you see it in publishing, right? Everyone loves these like, overnight success stories like oh my god in just two years they've gone to 50 million uniques and stuff and most of them are ephemeral and they go away right yeah. um and you know digiday does autopsies and stuff of them and it's like oh never again but then like you know fall into the same trap um 
and the truth of the matter is the 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 most power you know incremental gains you know whether it's in running or business or in a career or something like this are more likely to be sustainable than just all of a sudden you know going immediately you know from zero to whatever 10 but i don't know we, we i think as people we we always gravitate towards um this sort of overnight success and stuff and and i think one of the great things about running is that it reminds you that um that progress is is truly incremental like, i don't know if this podcast by like ryan hall and his he's great he, he was a great marathon runner one of the best american marathon runners ever um and and now he's like it's amazing he put on like 70 pounds of muscle and he's just lifting all the time but like his wife is still like an olympic uh, marathoner sarah hall and he, he's coaching her now and he was he was talking about how basically her like i guess they're in their mid-30s now and they they met at stanford so whatever 15 plus years ago and her like threshold runs this is after 15 years of running from like Stanford, like have like improved like 15 or like 20 seconds a mile. Like, I mean, these, that to me is like, you know, that's what running is about. It's like really spent like 15 years as a professional runner to like drop 20 seconds off your threshold time. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like I'm looking for gains of, I used to run in 25 minutes and now I run in 16 minutes. That's the gain I'm looking for, but I want it within like two weeks. right? Yeah. Well, I mean, the good thing about, any of these things is, well, I don't know, I guess it's the same as having a newsletter or something. It's like, you you, you can see, you know, big gains. Um, but if you're going to be in it, you know, in the beginning, but if you're going to be in it for the long haul, and you don't embrace sort of incremental improvement, um, it's not going to last. Good, good advice for running, good advice for life. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks, Brian. I really appreciated right. having you on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into the Science of Storytelling. Don't forget to leave us a comment. We love hearing from you. We have a ton more episodes coming up this season with some absolutely amazing guests. So make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss a single one. See you next time.